0: Hey Jim, thanks for joining us uh, at Write Open Source. I was interested in talking to you because of your experience with the Kubernetes documentation SIG group. And uh, you, you've been organizing and leading group meetings there on a regular basis for a while. Um, why don't you go ahead and tell us about yourself and how you got started in tech and Kubernetes specifically.
1: Yeah, definitely. And thank you. And thank you for having me. Really, uh, really happy to be here. Sure. Um, So I'm Jim Angel. I'm a cloud consultant at Google. And I've worn many hats and, you know, both technical and non-technical throughout my life. And so my journey into into technology is somewhat non-trivial. Um, and actually, you know, I'd have to go back to my early days of kind of getting into computers in general, where I had a good friend that had some um, cousins that were a little bit older than us teaching us the ways of, you know, what is a LAN party? What is computer gaming? You know, really just um, computers are fascinating back back then. I say back then, like it's like a million years ago, but I still feel that way today that computers still are fascinating. But throughout my earlier years of life, I never thought of computers as like a actual career path. Um, to me, it was like, you have to go to school, you have to get a degree. It's kind of like, here's the process that you actually um, have to follow to become proficient in, in uh, you know whatever career path you choose. And it's kind of funny, I actually tell a lot of people um, that my entire career started uh, for a dollar an hour raise. <laughs> it, it is actually true because um, I was working at the hospital kitchen for essentially minimum wage And it was in my late teens, and I was really um, doing a lot of work in this hospital kitchen, and I really wanted just an additional dollar an hour is what I was asking uh, my manager at the time for. And I was like, you know, I'm trying to buy an apartment. I'm trying to move out. I, I need just a little bit more money just to get my feet on the ground. And ultimately, they came back and said, no, we're not willing to, to give you that, you know, $1 an hour bump. And, and it just completely crushed me. I was like, I, I have no idea what I'm going to do. I need to go to college. I need to learn this. I, <laughs> my life is ruined, basically. How am I going to start a career like this? And up until that point, as I was mentioning, uh, computers have always been like a hobby. It's like for gaming. It's for, you know, just tinkering and, and whatnot. And I started looking more into it, and it looked like I was able to get certified in some kind of rudimentary certificates, uh, what I would compare uh, as like the high school diploma of like computer proficiency. It was actually the A-plus exam from CompTIA, if you're familiar with that. Yeah, sure. (laughs) So I I crammed for a couple weekends studying for that. Some of it I knew, some of it I didn't. and actually, some of it are are facts that I can't shake from my memory now. Uh, so like uh, the fact that a VGA uh, cable has 15 pins on it, <laughs> it's one of those like weird uh, trivia facts that you just can't ever uh, like, sh- you know, shake it out of your head. Um, but yeah, so ultimately, I went and got A plus certified, I ended up getting an entry level junior system administrator job. And uh, I just completely fell in love with the space of technology and, you know, seeing what happens, you know. I guess behind the scenes and server rooms and you know racking and stacking and more. More of my background comes from an infrastructure perspective, and um, throughout my career, from there, it progressed to various you know sorts of Linux system administration, pretty much everything under the sun. I feel like I've touched to one one degree or another, but one common thread throughout has been um, technical documentation, and so I found out very early on that if I create documentation that represents, you know, a problem that is actively opening up tickets or a problem that I solved before, you can almost um, like 10X or magnify your impact if you can provide that documentation. And so one example of that was my first job um, after getting certified with A+, I was doing general like, you know, printer maintenance support servers, exchange, things like that. And nobody knew how to use the color printers. <laughs> And so uh, I spent some time writing um, technical documentation around how to use the color printers, distributing it throughout the office, emailing people. And um, the funny thing was is I went back and visited that company uh, a couple of years later and they said, you know, that documentation you wrote, you know, five, 10 years ago, we're still using.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, when you you hit, when you meet a need, um, it's impressive how you can help, really help people over and over and over again.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. And, and so I I started to see reoccurring themes there as far as like, if, as I'm doing help desk work, uh, kind of growing through that, you know, junior sysadmin, system, system administrator uh, kind of career path that I tended to follow. Um, documentation kind of never went away. And so if you were to fast forward, we'll skip, you know, some of the boringer details of, you know, the, the career path there. Um, I found myself supporting Pivotal Cloud Foundry and uh, at General Motors in 2018 it was. Uh-huh. And when I joined, um, they were talking about the small side project where they said, "Hey, you know, we're looking at Kubernetes, uh, you know, open source Kubernetes. We don't know too much about it. There's a team we're starting up." And I go, "Oh yeah, I think I saw something about that. I think it was 1.6 or so." I started tinkering around with Kubernetes a little bit, and then uh, RBAC was introduced. Uh, I believe it was 1.5 or 1.6. And what happened was everything completely broke. Every all the wheels fall, fall all the wheels had fallen off the wagon at that point where like all the technical documentation was no longer valid because no one was talking about RBAC. Um, my little POC demo that I built completely, fall, you know, completely fell apart. And there was a huge gap in technical documentation at that point, which I didn't realize. I was just like, everything's broken. I'm you know, not really doing this in my day job. So I'm gonna put it for the corner for now or put it in the corner for now. And so uh, I tell the story to the folks I'm working with at General Motors. And they said, wow, you've actually even used this period. <laughs> So, so you're, you're now the, uh, the leading expert in this area, which I thought was pretty funny. Um, they, 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 they said that jokingly, though, you know, but they said, you know more than, than the folks here, so let's, let's go ahead and get this ramped up. So we, we did that for a little bit. I think it was eight or 1.9, was around that time in 2018 when we started uh, tinkering with Kubernetes. Oh. And um, as we were playing with the open source technology, I, um, I realized that we were using the Kubernetes dashboard, the, the infamous Kubernetes dashboard. I discovered that the admin service account token was being printed to the logs. So in our case, the logs are actually being shipped to a centralized ELK server. That centralized ELK server was accessible by many folks other than just the folks who needed it. And we saw a very big problem early on uh, (laughs) with this issue.
0: Did someone exploit that?
1: So nobody exploited it, luckily. I think still Kubernetes is pretty... pretty new in the company. And, and, you know, we were kind of kicking the tires still, nothing running in production. It was very much so a POC. And so my journey into open source starts right here, as far as I open up an issue for the Kubernetes dashboard. I explained the current problem and with my background being predominantly in infrastructure, I was like, I don't know how to fix this, but I know a little bit, (laughs) I know enough to be dangerous. And so if you can like nudge me in the right direction, I'm happy to give back and contribute, you know, and, and ultimately um, that was patched, and there has been massive improvements in the dashboard since then. <laughs> wow.
0: Did you ever uh, thank the food service boss who didn't give you that $1? <laughs> I,
1: I never did, but I, I think I definitely owe a thank you note. It, it's really amazing, you know, things that can be so devastating to you, like at the current time, can turn out to be such a positive later in life, and I try to keep that mindset when, you know, when things aren't looking too bright.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, up against challenges. Yep, Definitely quite a quite a history um yeah i i've um so i've sat in on meetings and i've seen you welcoming people and i've been impressed by not how you manage people but how you welcome them in um and um in in these types of projects you you welcome in um people who want to contribute and people obviously who know what or how things t- should be contributed um and so i wonder if you could speak a little bit to the nature of of um you know leading a group or helping a group move forward together
1: yeah definitely so i, I definitely have to give a shout out here to uh, Zach lesson um, definitely led by example um so when i joined just to kind of fill in some gaps here. So I started to dabble in the open source community with the the, the dashboard issue, not being able to really contribute to actual the code base. I felt very comfortable in being able to give back to documentation. And so as I saw um, gaps in the documentation, I would learn a little bit more and say, oh, I wish this was explained a little differently, or I think this could be a little bit more clear. And I I write a lot of documentation for myself. (laughs) I'm very selfish in that regard. And so, As I realized I could be effective in that in that area as far as documentation goes I started to join these SigDocs calls and those were led by Zach um, you know at the time that I joined I think in the summer of
0: 2018
1: and uh, I just remember joining this group of really awesome smart individuals and it was incredibly welcoming and nobody cared who you were what your background is what you're doing it was if you wanted to do work and you wanted to help out we're here to support you and i really you know i I take that to heart and i really try to embody that when i see new folks and i think it's daunting it's scary it's like there's this official sig thing and and we want to like compartmentalize this and like do i need to have the official knighting ceremony before i can like participate in sig docs you know and and really that's a huge disservice to the overall community because i think we can all be more welcoming and um so I really try to, to encourage that welcoming aspect. And I try to break down those barriers and break down some of those misconceptions that I had early on, that if you're here and you wanna do work, we have the right people that are gonna be helping you out and uh, supporting you you know, moving forward. And it's so awesome you know, when you see, I, I don't know if you've seen the robot or not in the documentation of PRs, but if you open it up as a first contributor, they'll say like, welcome, this is your first contrib- contribution to K website or Kubernetes mm-hmm. website. And so I see that and I love I love seeing that. And uh definitely uh try my best to outreach to those folks and make sure that they get uplifted in the right way.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of people come from large organizations where there are layers and bureaucracies and standards and procedures. And I'm not saying that Kubernetes doesn't, but it, you know, I think people come in with this base assumption that whatever it is, it's gotta be really complicated and you know. How many and then what what do I do? how do I do it? Um, and everyone I've met and talked to seems very welcoming, and um, you know I see a lot of engagement and a lot of smiling, so that's always a great thing. Uh, definitely. are there any are there any projects or areas of focus that um, that seem to be coming to forth to the forefront right now? Um, things that you see happening or you want to see happen?
1: Yeah, definitely. So I think docs has gotten very far, specifically Kubernetes documentation has gotten very far to where it is today when it comes to localization. However, there are some shortcomings uh, for localizing content and it's a big challenge, I think for an open source community that doesn't always have active members, active contributions. Um, I feel like there's definitely a struggle to keep up the momentum and velocity for various localizations. And so, you know, we've had some incidents where um, where a localization team was moving forward and there's folks contributing, they're making PRs, things are moving forward, but there's really no review process in place.
0: Mm.
1: And lo and behold, upon further review from a native language speaker, uh, it turns out that folks were using Google Translate to translate the content. And so it wasn't totally a one-to-one localization. It was more just plugging into Google Translate and translating the content until it, Until somebody came to us and said, hey, none of this stuff makes sense, (laughs) did we not have any idea about, you know, the current state of of the localization? And so I I see localization being one of those areas where it's hard to know what you don't know. (laughs) And from an outside perspective, if you don't speak the the native language, seeing the pull request come through, seeing the pull request merge, uh, it looks like it's a healthy community. And then to find out that it's not... um, trying to solve that problem is a tough one Tough one to solve. And so we're actually in the process of making the localization team an official working group of uh, Kubernetes uh, website. And so the plan with that would be to actually build a team around and to empower folks to start to, to really uh, encourage and build up the contributions around localization efforts. So that's one area, I don't think that really solves the, the Google Translate issue. But at the same time though, you have a little bit extra of uh, support, a little bit extra of folks welcoming and onboarding new contributors. And then the other kind of double-edged sword here is if a localization starts up with an active community and doesn't have that kind of momentum continue throughout the you know next couple of years, things happen as we've all seen You know, with the pandemic and folks get burnt out. I know I've gotten burnt out myself and we can't expect somebody realistically to localize an entire documentation set and stick around for you know multiple multiple years even if they were to be funded by a company it just is not sustainable uh-huh. and so i think that the localization effort also is going to help out with maybe there's times where we sunset a localization if if they're not keeping up with content and not really maintaining mm-hmm. it does uh, nobody a disservice to have partial documentation out there
0: <laughs> yeah yeah poor outdated um wow wow that's interesting i'm are there I mean, I haven't researched this at all, but are there machine aided translation tools, open source tools that, that uh, the project that Kubernetes has adopted or is it pretty wide open?
1: So right now it's pretty much wide open. It's gonna be what works best for the localization teams. Um, There's certain things that have seemed to work well for some and then others have kind of gone off on their own path and, and done other approaches to localization. I believe there is some open source tooling around localiz- localizing um, documentation. And I wanna say there's a tool out there that leverages artificial intelligence as well to kind of bridge that gap between just a pure Google Translate versus like actual technical content. Um, but none of those have been explored and, and I would love to see that localization group pick something like that up and, and look more into that. But like I said, it's really, you know, what folks do we have and, and what attention do we have and what issue is gonna be the most important to, to be successful?
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, What are the major languages that are getting a lot of attention for localization?
1: So I think our most active languages for localization is the Korean team as well as the Chinese localization team. Um, We also have uh, the Japanese localization team is very active. Um, So I would say those three are probably our top three uh, active localizations right now. Um, I believe Hindi was also starting to get ramped up as a new coming localization. Um, dealing with some of the growing pains that we see, you know, starting out localizations, but to identify three strong teams uh, isn't much when we look at the entire, I think there's 13 plus localized uh, languages. Um, It could be more or less. It's been a while since I went through and counted, but um, so to have three really ramped up teams and then maybe, you know, let's say nine or 10 others that are kind of dabbling. Do we want to contribute? Do we not? Uh, how do we how do we upskill those teams to be on the same page as the other teams?
0: Yeah. wow. Huh. And um, what about? Are there any other areas that you'd like to to bring more people or encourage more people to join in for?
1: Yes. Yeah, so, so one thing that I'm going to reach out to the wider SIG Docs community is I really want to build a larger team. Um, so what has happened is. Over the course of a couple of years, we've seen companies um, actively staff SigDocs with contributors. We've seen them pull back. It's kind of a ebb and flow type thing. When the documentation is good enough, I feel like there's a, not necessarily a financial incentive for folks to invest in the documentation. And until that becomes a pain point, you uh, see teams kind of pull back and and uh, ultimately recontribute. And what I'd really like to see is building a, a little bit more of a leadership structure around SIG Docs because it has grown to be there's the blog working group, there's a SIG doc security working group, there's the localization working group. And then there's traditionally just you know keeping the docs up and running and ma- maintained. In addition to that, there's the release team doing uh, every single release, making sure enhancements are documented. And I really think that we're doing ourselves a disservice by having a smaller team. And so what I plan on doing is proposing to the docs group because nothing, no decisions happen in a bubble. It has to be community consensus. And I plan on proposing a little bit larger of a team structure so we can start to support the localization groups so we can get a uh, new contributor ambassador roles, which is more focused on you know newcomers and onboarding those newcomers. And I think too, um, from a leadership perspective, right now we've uh, onboarded Divya Mohan as one of our co-chairs, but usually we'd like to keep that around three or four co-chairs because speaking from experience, if you start to try to run everything yourself and you, and you lose the ability to lean on other folks, it's a quick recipe for burnout, you know, and and so I think that that's that's really what I'm trying to avoid. I think a lot of folks are are dealing with kind of the real world of <laughs> of burnout, and I want to build a team that supports each other a little bit larger and a little bit better. And, and that's one of the cool things about open source is that there's no one who's going to say this is the right way or the wrong way, and nobody's going to say, hey, you could build a bigger team or you can't. It's it's really let's try this, let's see what happens. If there's no objections, um, I think it might be something worth worth a given a go.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the atmosphere and the the support that you put in place can really make a difference in in terms of attracting people and and retaining them. You know, bringing them on and having them stick around a long time and um, yeah, and just creating a positive atmosphere. So
1: yeah, yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. If if um if anyone listening to this wanted to get more information about the things that you just discussed, what would you ask, what
1: would you recommend they do? So slack.k8s.io is the Kubernetes Slack website. And that will get you kind of, it it will kick you to a spot where you can basically invite yourself to the company Slack or the the open source uh, Slack. But within Slack, if you're not familiar with it, there's an idea of channels somewhat kind of like, uh, if you think back in the day of like chat rooms almost on Slack, and there is a Slack channel for SIG Docs. And So what I'd recommend is folks go to slack.ks.io and they find the sig-docs channel and then introduce themselves. Uh, Once again, I really like to encourage um, or I like to believe that Sig Docs is a warm and welcoming place and that when folks reach out and say, hey, we're here to help. It's a a great opportunity just to say, I'm here and I'm willing to do some work. Uh, Where do you need help? The other thing, too, is when you join the channel, there is a, a pinned link of resources at the very top of the channel. Which has some newcomer videos, uh, some good first issues, and really just uh, you know some self-service references for folks to get you know started in contributing to docs.
0: That's great. That's great. Well, um, thank you so much for taking the time. Is there anything else you'd like to share with anyone before we go?
1: No, I really appreciate you having me on. It was a fun time talking.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Jim.
1: Awesome. Thank you.
0: Yeah.